0: Acts chapter 21, starting at verse 17, down to verse 36. Paul's arrival at Jerusalem. When we arrived in Jerusalem, the brothers welcomed us joyfully. The next day Paul went in with us to see James, and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and recounted one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they glorified God. Then they said to Paul, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. But they are under the impression that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or observe our customs. What then should we do? They will certainly hear that you have come, Therefore, do what we advise you. There are four men with us who have taken a vow. Take these men, purify yourself along with them, and pay their expenses so they can have their heads shaved. Then everyone will know that there is no truth to these rumours about you, but that you also live in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers, we have written to them our decision that they must abstain from food Sacrifice to idols from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. So the next day Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. Then he entered the temple to give notice of the date when their purification would be complete and the offering would be made for each of them. When the seven days were almost over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple they stared up the whole crowd and seized him, crying out, Men of Israel, help us. This is the man who teaches everywhere against our people and against our law and against this place. Furthermore, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. For they have previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. The whole city was stirred up, and the people rushed together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, the commander of the Roman regiment received a report that all Jerusalem was in turmoil. Immediately he took some soldiers and centurions and ran down to the crowd. When the people saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested Paul, ordering that he be bound with two chains then he asked who he was and what he had done some in the crowd were shouting one thing and some another and since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar he ordered that paul be brought into the barracks when paul reached the steps he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob for the crowd that followed him kept shouting away with him Amen.
1: Let's pray. For his presence among us this morning, our Father, we thank you and we praise you. We thank you that the Lord Jesus is enthroned on the praises of his people. And Lord, we pray that he would be present in the preaching of your word now and around the table in the moments to come. And Lord, all these things we ask in his name, amen. Amen. In a recent video by the Church of England, Justin Welby and other Anglican leaders said, quote, Over the last six years, the Church of England has been traveling together through our living in love and faith process as we consider questions around identity, sexuality, relationships and marriage. We want to celebrate the faithfulness of same-sex couples to each other and their desire to put God at the center of their relationship. That's why we shall create new prayers and a service which can be used in our churches, which affirm and celebrate same-sex couples who have entered into civil partnership or marriage, as well as other significant relationships. We realize that for some, these prayers and services will not go far enough, but for others, they will seem to go too far. Whether we choose to use them or not, we continue to walk together respecting our differences, and collectively embracing a radical Christian inclusion as the agreed way forward. If that sounds like a a mouthful, let me summarize it for you. We want to celebrate same-sex couples, and we want to partner with churches that believe that they're wrong. That is what we call an impossibility. It's impossible because Christian unity exists where Christian truth is believed. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is not united by an organization. It's not united around common interests, social ideals, philosophical ideas. But instead, the church of God is united by the truth of God. We continue our series in the book of Acts this morning, and the point of our passage is Christian unity is worth personal sacrifice. And the passage is going to press us to place a sky-high premium on Christian unity. The qualifier, however, is Christian unity exists around Christian truth. So that while Christian unity is worth personal sacrifice, it is not worth doctrinal sacrifice, nor is it worth moral sacrifice. Once we sacrifice those things, we no longer have anything to be united around, full stop. So if you're here today and you are not yet a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, hear me when I say it is our privilege to have you among us today But our longing is that you would go from being among us to being one of us. How? By yielding to the truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that he left the glories of heaven for the miseries of earth. That he lived a life without sin on our behalf. Died for our sins upon the cross. Rose again on the third day, and is coming back to judge the living and the dead. Receive that message, and you are automatically united to us and every other believer in the Lord Jesus Christ around the world. The Apostle John says this in 1 John 1, he said, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. But if you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus, are a believer in the gospel, and this is your church, this is your church family, then I really do hope that this message is used by God to impress a sense of the value of Christian unity upon you. I read Psalm 130. Three at the beginning of our service, which says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing. Life forevermore. But I wonder how you, would have written Psalm 133. Behold how awkward and difficult it is. When brothers eat custard creams after the Sunday morning service, it is like, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Well hopefully you wouldn't go that far. But there's room for improvement, isn't there? When it comes to our togetherness in the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Christ and so may God use this message to help us move towards that improvement here in this church Christian unity is worth personal sacrifice and it's specifically number one the sacrifice of personal freedom the sacrifice of personal freedom look at verse 17 to 26 with me again Luke writes these words. He says, When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. You remember Paul has been trying to get to Jerusalem for a while now. He collected this financial gift among many of the churches, and he wanted to give it to the impoverished church there in in Jerusalem. Verse 18, On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. Then Paul took the men and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. Now my guess is most of what we just read there sounded irrelevant to your life. Not because you're stupid but because you're not Jewish. And so many of the uh, customs or the traditions, many of the laws the ceremonies refer to that just aren't a part of your life and they're not a part of your family heritage. And so what I'm going to do is is take about two to three minutes to explain to us all what we just read and then by the grace of God we'll come and see why that really matters for our lives today. So at this point in the book of Acts, Paul has Completed three missionary journeys. And when people like you, when people like me, ethnic non Jews, repented of sin and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, having heard Paul preach, the question arose look, since Jesus was and is the Jewish Messiah, shouldn't these non ethnic Jews, shouldn't these Gentile believers become Jews? by being circumcised and obeying the ceremonial law so that if they do, they'll be really in the kingdom of God, really in the family of God. And Paul's answer to that was an emphatic, bold, underlined, italicized, circled, red, all capitals, no. Why? Because Jesus Christ is enough. The person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ is all you need to be accepted by God, to be loved by God, to be reconciled to God. Jesus obeyed the law for us. Jesus obeyed and died for our law breaking for us. And according to Jesus, it is finished. And that was Paul's answer to the question. The problem though was the game of Chinese whispers that ensued from wherever Paul was to the church in Jerusalem. His, his gospel was missed in translation. The mostly Jewish church there in Jerusalem were hearing it said that Paul was teaching the Jews to be anti-Moses, to, to reject the law, to reject circumcision. Whereas in reality, what Paul was saying, you don't need those practices. To be right with God. You're, you're free to practice them if you want to. You're free to circumcise your children if you want to. You're free to eat certain foods or not eat certain foods if you want to. And keep the Jewish Sabbath if you want to. So long as you understand that you are no more loved by God if you do. And no less loved by God if you don't. Because we're loved by God because... Of Jesus. Paul says if you think of yourself more highly because of the laws you keep, or if you look down your nose at those who don't keep Jewish laws, you are denying the sufficiency of the blood of Christ. Do not do that, Paul says. Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus is our forgiveness. Jesus is our acceptance with the Father. So when Paul finally made it to Jerusalem, James, one of the leaders of the, early, of the Jerusalem church, says, Paul, the Jews are hearing it said that you're telling them to reject Moses. Let's show them that that's not what you're saying. Here are four men. They're under a vow. They were probably under a Nazarite vow where you wouldn't cut your hair for 30 days or drink alcohol or such, or eat anything with grapes after that you'd go to the temple shave your head present an offering and, and 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 james says to paul paul go with them and pay their offering for them then everyone will know that you are not anti-law and paul did it did he have to do it no was paul under the law no did these four men have to keep their Nazarite vow no But since they'd chosen to for their own conscience convictions, Paul Paul goes with them. So as to say this, brothers, this need not divide us. So Paul's commitment to Christian unity was such that he was willing to give up personal freedoms to preserve it. Well, friends, that is huge for us today. That has massive implications because what it means is we too are called to give up our freedoms for the sake of our unity with the brothers and sisters in Christ. No, we're not to sacrifice Christian doctrine. We're not to sacrifice Christian morality, but we are to sacrifice personal freedoms for the sake of unity in the church. So friend, you are free in Christ to consume alcohol in moderation, but you should forego that freedom as and when it offends other brothers and sisters in Christ or causes them to stumble into sin. You're free in Christ to to revere or not to revere other uh, certain days, but you should forego that freedom if in doing so it will offend others. You're free in Christ to eat meat or seafood that was previously considered unclean, you should forgo that freedom if it will offend others. Women, you're free not to cover your head unless you visit a brethren church or go to a part of the world where it would be an offense to worship with your brothers and sisters with an uncovered head. Christian unity is worth those and many more personal sacrifices the question is why is that true the question is what is the big deal when it comes to christian unity is it that precious is it really worth giving up those things to preserve well here's one answer it is worth it because it puts the gospel of jesus christ on display See, when we sacrifice our freedoms for the sake of others, it puts the gospel on display for the church and the world to see. Remember how Paul put it when we were going through the book of Philippians, when he said this to the church, complete my joy by being of the same mind, Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one, let each of you rather look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, the mind that we used to have said, if I can do something, and if I want to do something, then stuff those who will be offended. But then we encountered the one who gave up everything for us. And we were given a brand new mind. We encountered the one who gave up heaven for earth so that he could take us to heaven. We encountered the one who gave up the riches of heaven to become poor so that we, by his poverty, might become rich in faith. We encountered the one who gave up his right to be served to serve us with salvation. who became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that we would never have to face the judgment of a holy God. So that now, when we die to our freedoms to serve others, we showcase the glory of the gospel and the awesome power that gave us those new minds. In 1994, there was a, a carpenter called Russell Herman who, who died. And when his will was read, it raised some eyebrows because in his will, uh, he left more than $2 billion to the city of East St. Louis in the state of Illinois, uh, $2.5 billion to the national forest system and $6 trillion to the US government to pay off the national debt. You might be asking, how did a carpenter come into such money? And here's the answer, Uh, he didn't. His only asset was a car. So someone wrote this, he made grand pronouncements, but there was no real generosity involved. His, His promises were meaningless because there was nothing to back them up. They were just numbers on a piece of paper. And friends, we can talk all day long about our love for one another. We can sing, blessed be the tie that binds until we are blue in the face. And it will all be meaningless if we're not willing to sacrifice for one another. So let me say this, friends. Follow through on every opportunity to strengthen Christian unity. Follow through on every opportunity, every chance you get. James put this to Paul, and Paul was perfectly free in Christ to say, no, thank you, not interested, I'm free in Christ. But instead he said, yes, for the sake of others. Uh, last Tuesday, we were visited, weren't we, with Peter. I can't say his last name, so I won't attempt to say it. But he's the pastor of a church and a, and a Bible college head in, in Moldova. And the tiny, tiny sacrifice of our time in being there on a Tuesday night made a big statement to him. Your service in the gospel means something to us. And every Tuesday night is is an opportunity to do that. Among the fellowship. Because when a brother or a sister in Christ. Pours out their heart to God. Your loud hearty amen. At the end of their prayer. Says your burden is my burden. Your care is my care. And your concern is my concern. And I'm with you. And you matter to me. And we're together. And we're united in the gospel. And so Christian unity is. Worth personal sacrifice. Specifically it's worth the sacrifice of personal freedom. But then second. The sacrifice of personal safety. Uh, Look with me at verse 27. It says when the seven days were almost completed. The Jews from Asia. And that's probably Ephesus. Seeing him Paul in the temple. Stood up the whole crowd. And laid hands on him. Crying out. Men of Israel, help, this is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place for they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple and at once the gates were shut And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. The tribune was the commander of a thousand Roman soldiers. Verse 32, he at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they, the unbelieving Jews, saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. And then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. Now, the Apostle Paul didn't know uh, exactly what he was getting himself into when he went to the temple with these four men under their Nazarite vow. But he knew this; it was a risk. It was a big risk. Remember, Paul that told the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter twenty, "I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every that in every city imprisonment and affliction awaits me." And then two weeks later, uh, two weeks ago, here at the church, you remember the prophet Agabus bound Paul with his own belt. And he said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And so Paul had gone, when you consider this, from being the hero of Judaism as a persecutor of the church to being an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He would have been known to many back then. And so this was a great risk To his personal safety and the premium that Paul placed on Christian unity then was evidently so high that he was willing to sacrifice his personal safety for the sake of the brothers. To say to them, I am with you and you are with me in this gospel. And these preferential customs that you obey need not divide us in the gospel of Christ, And so the question again is, is Christian unity really worth that? Is it really worth the sacrifice of our safety? Well, we said under the last heading, didn't we, that Christian unity puts the gospel of Jesus Christ on display. But Christian unity also reveals the nature of God himself. I wonder if you've ever thought about that. Listen to... Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. You remember when he prayed, Holy Father, keep them, keep the apostles in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. And then later Jesus prayed, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they, that is that we, may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. Think about this, friends Christian unity reflects Trinitarian unity, it puts God on display. Our fellowship with one another reflects God's fellowship within Himself, so that there's even something of God's own DNA found. When brothers and sisters dwell in unity and refuse to divide because of preferences and safety as well. So is it worth it? Well, yes, it is worth it. And I want, us to, challenge, I want to challenge us with this this morning, friends. If Paul prioritized Christian unity at the expense of his safety, then how much more should we prioritize Christian unity since there is no threat to our safety at all. Virtually none in this part of the world. Think about that. We might get cancelled for our unity around Christian truth. We might get fired. Uh, We might have all been kicked off Twitter before Elon Musk bought it all out. But Christian unity brings virtually no threat to our safety at all in this part of the world and at this time in history. So if Paul prioritized Christian unity such that he risked his own safety, then shouldn't we prioritize Christian unity when there is virtually no risk to our safety at all? Another way to ask that would be to ask this, if we're free to make the most of it, then why wouldn't we make the most of it? The question is, how? How can we do this? And I wanna close with four answers for us. And the first answer is this, stay close to the one who unites us. Stay close to the one who unites us, Jesus Christ himself. It's no coincidence, is it, that the more you love Jesus, you find the more you love his people. And the more you love his people, the more you end up loving Jesus. No coincidence at all. Do you remember it? A.W. A. Tozer said this? He said, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So, 100 worshippers met together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. We are the pianos, Christ is the tuning fork, We look to him and be tuned to one another automatically. But we can also pursue Christian unity by meeting real needs in the church. See, when there's a real need in the church and you inconvenience yourself to meet that real need, you bless the one who is in need and in turn, they grow in their love for you and your blessing of them and their increased love for you are surely two crucial ingredients needed for christian unity to grow and to be strengthened and this is going to involve knowing people well enough to meet real needs it's going to involve you taking an actual interest in the lives of people in this church. It's going to involve you not bolting out of the door the moment Hugh reads the benediction at the end of the service. Because it means you're going to have to get to know people well enough to ask the question, how can I serve you? How can I meet the needs in your life? And related to that, we can pursue Christian unity by making the most of fellowship. If you're anything like me, you find Small talk, quite difficult. Uh, But the answer to that isn't rushing off after church. The answer to that is turning small talk into big talk. And you can do that by encouraging people. If someone served as part of a Sunday service, someone read, someone played, someone taught the children Sunday school, you, you can thank them and tell them how their service blessed you. And you can ask someone what they've been praying about during the week because when you ask them what they've been praying about, all of a sudden you give them permission to be open and real about what's burning in in them in, in their lives and causing them to drop to their knees in desperate prayer. Or perhaps if you have been praying for someone in the fellowship, you could tell them, I have been praying for you. How can I be praying more intelligently for you this coming week? Do you see how much more valuable that is than how was your week? Good. How was your week? Good. Awkward silence. All right, see you next week. Yeah, see you next week. And then, and then that's the, it, the end. And then lastly, we can pursue Christian unity by prioritizing every gathering. Now I know not all of you can come to every gathering, but I will say this, it is hard for us to feel united when you only see your family once a week. More than that, there is safety in numbers and there's great danger in isolation. We have a real enemy, which means that Christian unity is a method of survival. I'll leave you with this one. There was a, a small fish discovered a number of years ago in the Hawaiian reefs, and it was called the gold saddle goatfish. And a few years ago, some divers discovered a, a large fish with the exact same colors. But as it turned out, it wasn't a large fish at all. It was actually a school of gold saddle goatfish swimming together. And the strategy was this when a predator was around, they united themselves in such a way so as to look like one giant fish. And in their togetherness, there was safety. Well, friends, there is a predator around for believers. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour so that if you want to be safe, prioritize Christian unity and stand with your brothers and sisters in solidarity and in faith with them as we see the day drawing near in anticipation of the return of our Savior. Why don't we pray and then we'll sing in response and then we'll come to the Lord's table. Heavenly Father, how we do thank you and praise you this morning for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that he bought with his precious blood. And we thank you for the unity that we have in Christ, in the truth, in the gospel, in the Holy Spirit, all of these glorious realities. But oh Lord, we pray that we as a church would grow in our experience of the unity that we have all the more as we see the day drawing near. And we do ask that you would help us and enable us to live and walk in the good of what belongs to us as the church of Christ. And we ask all these things in his precious name. Amen.